You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. we spend some time here this morning to remind ourselves who we are, what we are about here, and we say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. That's the identity we want to live out. We strive for that, and we strive for that through four different values, by practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. That's what we strive for. Just a few uh, announcements I want to bring to you guys today. Uh, We are going to do another Kahoot night, if you were a part of that uh, the first time. You're welcome to join us again. It's a it's a fun night of, of family trivia, and so you can join us on Zoom. You can just text the word quiz to our church number here, 824-2252, and we'll send you all the information uh, that you need on that. So we'd love to see you there. If you have problems, uh, just text that same number and just say, hey, something's up here, dude, and we'll get you some information. Secondly is our workday is coming up here on the 6th of March, and we're going to do some things with lighting and ceiling tiles, but we're also going to start preparing our children's ministry rooms for re-entry into children's ministry that we're planning for right at mid-end March. And so we're kind of heading towards bringing back some normalcy here. Uh, if you have made it a rhythm to have your children in here, uh, just know you're welcome to keep doing that. I'm going to keep doing the five words. I'm going to try to keep, keep things so your kids can understand them. Well, uh, I'm, as much as I can, right? Uh, And so uh, also with that, if you're a volunteer with Children's Ministry or if you would be willing to, just know that uh, we're going to need help as we start that back up again. All right, well, let's head into uh, the Beatitudes this week. And as always, we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew. And this was our primary text for, this is week eight. Um, I'm sorry, we've kind of skipped around. There was a a baby born in the midst of that, so uh, we kind of have planned things that uh, we we thought that there wasn't maybe an order to the Beatitudes, so it was okay to skip around. But as we've gotten into this, uh, there's an order to the Beatitudes that's good to see. And so I'm actually going to go back to the third Beatitudes in meekness today. And so let's read Matthew 5, verse Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, are, who, who when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. 
Uh, Father, we come before you today and we do declare that powerful name of Christ. And Lord, we, we, we sit here today as people who are unworthy of fellowship with you. But Lord, you have deemed us worthy and you have moved mountains to bring grace and forgiveness in our lives, Lord. You have made us worthy. And so, Lord, strip us of our pride today. Strip us of our rightness today. Let us humbly come under your word today that we might really, truly believe that it is water for our thirsty souls. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your amazing name. Amen. Well, it is good to be back up here with you guys again. Uh, hello to everybody that's a kid in here. Uh, today we are going to be talking, thank you, we are going to be talking about probably the most important posture, descriptor of a Christian. And it's a word that we don't use very often. It's meek. Meekness is the defining characteristic of those who follow Christ. But we don't have much of a clue of what that really means. And so we're going to look in depth in that today. And so I'm going to give you five words here that you're going to look at. Pride. You hear the word slack. Inherit. Humble. And accept. You know, back in June, the middle of June, we were in a study on the fruit of the Spirit. And we came to one of the descriptors of the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. And gentleness is translated from the word praiotes in Greek. And we said that that word praiotes translates nearer the idea of meekness than it does our definition of gentleness today. And so meekness is something that we have talked about here recently. Now, I suspect, like all of my sermons, you have memorized that June teaching by heart, and so much of this today will just be brushing up and review, but just in case you didn't, it is always wise to hear important matters more than once. So meekness isn't this word that you hear very much, meek is a word that's kind of thrown into the words that we don't say or use very much. Meek has entered the category of carbon copy. I mean, when's the last time you've got a carbon copy from somebody? Probably not, not in a long, long time. It's, it's gone the way of the word dipsadoodle, right? I don't know if you guys say the word dipsadoodle anymore, but uh, I think we should. It has gone the way of uh, the furniture that we call the curio cabinet. Like nobody, sorry, I'm offending probably somebody in the room. <laughs> nobody wants a curio cabinet anymore, right? And so I, I have just a belief in my soul that we need to get dipsadoodle back into the English lexicon, so maybe it'll just start with me. Right? So when is the last time that you have ever described or heard somebody use the phrase meek or meekness in a positive way? We have maybe used the word meek in a negative way to describe maybe somebody who got taken advantage of, or we might call somebody meek because we see them as feeble or weak. But outside of that context, in the biblical text, we really don't use meekness, nor do we understand it. And if, and if one would speculate on why we don't use this term, which oddly enough, and this may surprise you, I have. You might come up with a few hypotheses on why. 
Uh, Number one is that we don't really know what meekness means. We don't know how to define it, and so we don't use it. Number two is as a culture, we don't value meekness. We aren't brought up with meekness at the forefront. And number three, and this may be the most important, meekness is not attainable through human virtue. Humanity does not have the skill set or ability to show or demonstrate meekness. Meekness is given and developed only through the Holy Spirit of God in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is vastly important for us to comprehend today. So we don't know what it means, we don't value it, and we can't attain it. That's a pretty good recipe for something to become obsolete. And so let's spend a little bit of time today defining what the term meekness means. And to build an accurate picture of meekness, one really has to start by understanding its most prolific perversion. What perverts meekness is pride. Pride is the enemy of meekness. And we might understand pride to be the opposite of humility, and that is true. But when we understand meekness, we know that humility and meekness are birds of a similar feather. Not fully, they share common threads, but not fully. And so over and over and over again, our scripture warns us of the danger of being proud of the destruction that comes with pride. And we could look throughout our scripture and find scores of verses. I'm just going to focus on two that we find in our New Testament. There's tons of Proverbs and Psalms and Old Testament prophets speaking about the dangers of pride. But in our New Testament, if we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it's written, For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Pride does not exist in the kingdom of God. It doesn't flow from the Father. And then James, the brother of Jesus, says these very profound and challenging words. He says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James is quoting the Old Testament here, but notice God's language. God is not exhausted by the proud, or God is not annoyed by the proud. No, this says that God is in direct opposition to pride, because pride is deadly. Pride is dangerous. Pride is an unfit characteristic of those who follow Christ. And if we're honest, there is a tension in our hearts when we hear somebody like me attacking the idea of pride and how corrupt it is because we have been told all of our lives to take pride, to have pride in yourself, take pride in your family, take pride in your school, take pride in your country. A friend or a counselor may have come to you and said, you really need to have more pride in who you are. And so naturally, we react negatively to somebody like me saying, hey, pride's going to kill you. Unfiltered pride will destroy you. Because what we think they are saying is that we should be completely worthless. That we should completely invalidate ourselves. That we should hate ourselves. That we should loathe our existence. 
But our scripture does not teach us to loathe our existence or ourselves. Scripture is about having the right value in the right place. And the Apostle Paul writes it this way when he writes to the young church in Ephesus. He writes in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Our scripture doesn't teach us that we don't have value, that we don't have worth. It does teach us, though, that our value, our worth is intrinsic, unshakable, and unable to be damaged. Because our value does not rest within ourselves or other people. Our value rests within our creator and in our creation. Our creator, who out of his great love for us, descended into his own corrupted creation to rescue us, to save us, to grant us peace, that we might come to comprehend the depth and the length and the width and the height of his love for us. Our value comes from him and that he created us and deemed us worthy and able to be loved. And that is something that no one or no thing can take or change. There is a difference in knowing you have heavenly value and having earthly pride. Pride as defined and lived out in this world is deadly because it means that one finds their value comparatively. That one finds their value in comparison to another thing or another person. It's comes to believe that you are better off or worse off than someone else. That you're prettier or more attractive or smarter or even the opposite, that you're not those things. We'll talk about that. There is a difference in having heavenly value and earthly pride. And listen, this is the one true great obstacle to meekness. It is the one true great obstacle to meekness. And the true reality is, is rarely, 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 if ever, do we see ourselves as proud. It's always somebody else. We have pride that we're not as proud as that young, arrogant guy at our work. Rarely do we call it out in our lives. Rarely do we see it for what it is. There's a great book that I would recommend to you called Our Good Crisis by Jonathan Dotson. And he spends a lot of time speaking about the issue of pride. And he divides pride up into three different categories. He talks about strong pride, weak pride, and middle pride. And I don't want you to get too hung up on the names, but this is what I've gleaned from this, and I'll share it with you. There is a pride that we know, and there's two types of prides that we're not really aware of. We're very aware of strong pride. Strong pride are the, the celebrities that we might see that are arrogant. It's the person on social media who only values their opinion. 
That's strong pride. Dotson makes an observation that I find very interesting. There was a survey done in 1976 that asked people to list their life goals. There were 16 life goals. And out of those 16 life goals, the majority of the respondents came back, and being famous was 15th out of 16th. Today, a very similar survey about being famous found that over half of the respondents listed being famous as the top two priorities in their life. Now, is it wrong to be famous? Well, famous is simply to get attention for a particular quality of your life or skill. And innately, it's benign. If people are going to give you attention for who you are and what you do, that's not you. But the moment that we begin to stir and try to create applause and attract people to ourselves and seeing ourselves, that's when we dip into pride. To be famous is one thing. To get the attentions of others by willful acts is another. This type of pride lurks in many of us. It's the impulse to see others as objects. It's the impulse to seek applause and praise. It's, what do you think of my outfit? It's, did you like my presentation? It's, did anyone comment or like my post? It's wrapped around being seen as better, more attractive, smarter, having more influence than another. It's self-centeredness. But that self-centered pride doesn't have to center around one thinking themselves better than another and seeking applause. It is rather intrinsically prideful to consistently consider how much others are better than you are. Dotson calls that weak pride. Weak pride fixates on self in a self-deprecating way rather than an attention-getting way. It's found in the person that says, I'll never measure up. I could never do what they did. I'll never make it. I should just stop trying. I'll just need to quit. I'm just not as good as they are. There's a lot of eyes in those statements. Weak pride loves themselves in a way that at their core, they cope with the world by becoming a victim. Instead of looking down at others, they look up at others because weak pride at its core wants to be approved. Weak pride comes in those who have yet to understand what it means to be adopted son and daughter of Christ, to be an image bearer of Christ. And you can consider it this way. It's asking questions or imagining yourself doing things that other people have done. It's fantasizing about what if it was you that got that promotion instead of him. What if it was me that was giving that advice? Or what if it was me that was on stage at that conference speaking? Is it wrong to aspire to those things? Aren't they good things? Yes. But they're not our things. They're not our things. When we imagine ourselves in someone else's place, we steal what belongs to them. And we rob ourselves and forget what God has for us. We cross the line from valor into vanity, from humility into pride, and that is weak pride. 
And the last kind of pride that Dotson talks about is middle pride. And it rests in between strong and weak pride. Middle pride says, define yourself. Stand up for your truth. Be yourself. Middle pride takes my feelings, my thoughts, my opinions, and elevates them to universal truth. And then it demeans, demoralizes, and hurts those who disagree with me and deems those people evil. It hates and is intolerant of those who disagree or challenge us. It puts us on the center of the stage where we can say, well, you just don't know as much as I know. Or you haven't seen the facts that I've seen. You have wool over your eyes. The theologian G.K. Chesterton writes this about that. He says, a man was meant to be doubtful about himself and undoubtful about the truth. And Dodson comments on that and says, now we are doubting about the truth and undoubting about my truth. It's fascinating. Pride comes in a variety of ways. It's just not arrogance. But at the core of it, it's putting God's truth about us, the world, and others as subservient to our own. And it makes the world and ourselves more focused on us than the one who named us, created us, and purchased us. There's a beautiful parable in the Gospel of Luke about the dangers of pride. It comes from chapter 18, and we'll put it on the screen and we'll read it together. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee is recorded as being unjustified. Why was he unjustified? His pride. At least I'm not them. Look at what I've done, Lord. But the lowly, despicable tax collector was deemed justified. Why? Because he knew that the only thing that mattered was what the Lord thought of him. Pride elevates ourselves into positions that we are not qualified to occupy and unattended to, feel, to fill. And so if pride is the opposite of meekness, then let's talk about meekness in this way. Meekness is the willingness to submit to the right authority. Meekness is removing ourselves from the center of all of life's equations because we believe there is somebody better to commute them and we trust that he will work them better than we could. Meekness is surrendering our desires, our rights, our opinions, our privileges 
because we trust that God watches out for us and that he will be the one that defends my cause. That even though it may not feel like, or it may feel like it, that he has never forsaken or abandoned us. Meekness is believing that God's truth has the final and ultimate say on who I am, on the world, and on others. Meekness frees me to rest. Meekness frees me from the vice of my own opinion or the opinions of others, of my own expectations or the expectations of another. Meekness is the freedom to say, I don't know. I can't. Meekness is the freedom to say, I was wrong. I messed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Meekness is the power that refuses to allow the world, others, and even ourselves the power to control our lives. Meekness can only come from trusting that someone is a better author of my story. And more than that, that it's not even my story. It's his. That's a lot of verbal words to give you a picture of what meekness looks like. But if I could show you a picture of what it looks to be meek, it would be this. That's meekness. That's a Great Dane being walked by a two-year-old. That dog could drag that toddler anywhere he wanted to, but he doesn't. Why? Because he has deferred his pace and his direction to another master. And it isn't himself. He will go where his master leads. There is slack on that leash. Meekness is slack on the leash. Meekness is slack on the leash. And before you get any ideas in this picture, because we are the dog in the picture, but we don't have a toddler holding the leash. This picture is a better representative of us. Meekness is the slack on the leash that shows we trust the master's lead. And even though our master may take us to places that we never would choose, there is slack on the leash because we trust him. The alternative would be to be a yappity dog that with great noise pulls on the leash because he wants to go and sniff the butts of other dogs. A dog that has the illusion of control, but is just noisy and loud. Nor is it meekness to be dragged by the master. Meekness is to be in step with our master on his course, with his pace, slack on the leash, it doesn't mean that we're not going to tug on the leash from time to time. It doesn't mean that sometimes we aren't going to be dragged. It just means that we trust and heed the master. And this is why meekness is only possible in Christ. 
Because he is the good shepherd. He's the only one worthy of meekness. He is unchangeably good and kind and merciful. He alone is our master that is worthy to humble ourselves under. You know, I've heard people in this season call other people sheep and that they're just dumb and they don't know what they're doing. And I'm not condemning anybody who's used that phrase. But for the Christian, do you understand that's a compliment? All of Psalm 23 is about us being dumb sheep who God leads to paths of righteousness. We follow the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sin. My master knows my voice. And the sheep know their master's voice. That's a little bit of definition work. But can you hear me to say this? Friend, we can only be meek. We, we can only be meek. There, there isn't another way. The idea of a proud Christian is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. We are proud nothing. To be proud is the language of the Pharisees that says, look at what I did. Well, at least I'm not them, or at least I'm not that. We're grateful we're grateful as Christians, but the only posture that we can be is meek. And why do I say that? Because Jesus sits here in the Beatitudes instructing his believers in the way of his life, and he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom. Can you hear that? That there is an undeniable call and command from Scripture towards meekness. Our Savior sits here and speaks to us today. Let's pause for a moment and consider what he's saying. He is saying that when he descends again and brings his everlasting kingdom of peace into actuality on this earth, the toll that grants one access into his kingdom is meekness in Christ. Meekness. Not how good I am, or not that my good things have outweighed my bad. Not that I have influence, or I'm a decent person, or that people like me. Not the number of false teachers that I've called out, or sermons that I've listened to. Not the number of followers I've gained or influence I've been given. Not the number of goals I've achieved or how close I got to living my best life here. Not even the number of people who I've brought to the Lord or the number of conversations I've had about Jesus. Meekness in Christ. It will be the meek that inherit the kingdom. Not the number of people I've out-succeeded or out-earned, not how comfortable or how uncomfortable I lived in this world, not what I have attained or what I didn't attain, not how much of the Bible I knew or how little of the Bible I knew, not the number of Bible studies that I've attended or events or concerts that I've been to, not the amount of corruption that I've unearthed or misinformation that I've labeled, not how well I've protected my family from the world or how well I've avoided doing sinful things. Meekness in Christ. Is there slack on the rope? Did I trust him 
Did I defer my pace and my direction to Christ? And did I trust that he is worthy? Not only does our Savior desire that we would show meekness, but meekness is exemplified in Christ. He is the very definition of meek. Listen to his own words in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the Greek word, praos, and it translates into meek. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does Jesus say about himself? He says, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you can find rest in me. That's how he describes himself. And, and we know that that is good news, that we can run to Jesus and we can find acceptance and grace and mercy and forgiveness in him. We value his meekness and his lowliness that in Christ, God brings us near, that he doesn't treat us as we ought to be treated. But then for many of us, we think, well, now what? Kind of, what, what's next? As if the meekness of Christ that forgives our sins, adopts us as sons and daughters, and brings peace to man in the world weren't enough. We are so off-putting about meekness that even when the creator God of the world and the universe displays it towards us, we say, now there's got to be something else here. Let's get to the good stuff. Like Jesus doesn't have multiple personalities. He doesn't do the dipsy-doodle in Scripture. Jesus doesn't morph into the leadership guru that you want him to be to be relevant in the culture, that teaches you how to get the most out of your life. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus morph into the emboldened leader of whatever political or social cause that you have deemed to be what's going to usher in or bring back the glory days. We do a good job of trying to make Jesus who we want him to be instead of adoring him and enjoying him just as he is. The son of God, fully human, fully man, fully God, descended into the world, left his throne in humiliation, who stood silent in front of his accusers as an innocent man, who freely and gladly died at the hands of a worldly conspiracy, who could have in a moment called legions of angels and destroyed humanity with a snap of the finger, gladly and freely gave his life up, although he didn't deserve it. Jesus is meek, and he is nothing more than that for us. There is no other way. We can only be meek. And if it is the pervasive job of the Holy Spirit of God to conform us into a fuller image of himself, if the Holy Spirit is conforming us into a more perfect image of God, that image will be meek. Our pride must die. There is no other way. 
Meekness is the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There is slack on the leash from those who trust his name. And that is an oddly powerful position to be in. Because in meekness, when I have deferred my pace and my direction to my Lord, to my master, it means that there is positively nothing else that can have power or control over me. And I can say, I could do that. I could say that. I could believe that. I could do that. But I don't have to. I've got something better. And we rest and follow our good king. So this week, may it be the consideration of our hearts to ask ourselves, is there slack on the leash? Or am I fighting with all of my heart like a yappity dog and just making a lot of noise? Or am I being dragged? And may we be moved to pray that the Lord would show himself to us that he would reveal his love to us in deeper, deeper ways. Would you pray with me? Father, today we pause and we thank you for our limits. Limits you have given for our good and for your glory. Lord, we praise you for the blessing of boundaries, of limitations, that you've made us finite creatures that as finite creatures, that we might find rest in your infinite grace and goodness, that we might be in awe of your infinite beauty in your creation. So Lord, humble us today that we might defer our pace, that we might defer our direction to your stead, that Lord, we would trust and believe that in every moment, no matter the circumstance, you are just as faithful and good in that moment as you were the day before and you will be in all of our tomorrows. Let our joy multiply as we delight in your presence. Father, bring us the freedom to know it is just never going to be about me. It's never going to be about us. Give us the peace that comes in knowing your power and realizing our weakness. Make your presence and love known to us today and tomorrow and forever. And we ask this boldly and humbly through the name of Christ our Lord.